0: Good morning, Al.
1: Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, uh, all you wonderful KMSU listeners. So it's uh, wonderful to be here. I've I've had a productive day already. I emptied the pencil sharpener. So Ooh! It was quite a quite an undertaking there, and I'm I'm rather proud. I, I I'm going to give myself a star. I think. Yes. Went went for a little bit of walk. That north wind is um, nippy when you're. Uh, when you face into it. So it's uh, strong enough that it, uh, I think it could make a a fellow's eyes run after a while out there. (laughs) I have a house sparrow and a cardinal in my yard that are both missing tails. How they lost them, I have no idea. If Jim Rockford were still around, I'd have him put a tail on those birds, (laughs) and I think that would take care of it. A lot of, uh, oh, red-bellied woodpecker just flew into the feeder here. I, I love red bellies. Some of, them, some of them take their red bellies everywhere and others not so much. That red belly isn't always easily noticed. And uh, I've got a nuthatch here on the feeder. A friend from Maine was just telling me about the the chestnut colors on the south end of a northbound white-breasted nuthatch, and they're really pretty back there, and I, we think they're just uh, for, uh, old mating purposes, to look cool and say, hey, look at look at this. I have a uh, nervous rooster pheasant under the feeder right now, and he's behaving awkwardly, uh, mm. awkwardly with an H in front of it. He's looking up a lot, so keeping an eye out for a, a hawk of some kind. Uh, squirrels left a lot of footprints in the snow after this last snowfall, and they have larger hind feet. And if you see their tracks, their larger hind feet appear in front of the smaller front feet. And rabbit tracks resemble those of squirrels, except the front feet aren't paired with the hind feet. And to me, it's sort of a triangular shape. And I can tell where rabbits have been feeding as twigs and shrubs, they show these clean diagonal cuts. And uh, thanks to Miss Lona, she sent me... Uh uh, and you, a picture of a deer, uh, and a deer did go up on the porch of the Betsy Tacey
0: house. Yeah, and there's steps. Now, they're not real steep steps. I know my deck has pretty steep steps, so I'm hoping that that will deter them. But we were saying, well, we don't think that deer climb steps, and apparently this one did that Miss Lona had.
1: Yeah, and uh, boy, deer, are they're adaptable. They, it's amazing how they survive and not only survive but prosper. Uh, Millie Westlin, Millie lives in Hayward. She has a brown thresher coming to her feeder each day. Uh, Tim Scott of Mankato has a Carolina Wren on his deck. Hmm. Uh, Carol Lang of Albert Lee has a white wing crossbill in the yard, a Carolina Wren. And said her niece, who lives in Albert Lee, also has a Carolina wren in her yard. And Carol also has an Oregon junco. Now, Oregon juncos there's a number of subspecies of the dark-eyed junco. The Oregon junco is very brown, but it has a dark head, black or gray. And it's the division between the hood and the rest of the body is very distinct. So the boundaries are they're pretty plain to see and that sure looks like what carol has there now there are brown on other juncos Uh, the regular dark-eyed juncos that we get here will have brown on them and it'll vary from a little bit to quite a lot but it's the combination of that brown brown back and this uh, hood and that sure looks like what she has there so that's a pretty cool bird as they all are Uh, Brenda Katosik of St. Peter, she sent me a photo of a sharp-shinned hawk. She said, I scream at the sharp-shinned when it comes to my yard. And uh, I imagine that'll work. If you go out there and scream at them every time, they might get sick of you, but they'll just probably wait until you're gone. Uh, Susan Wagner of Maine said, Al, uh, talking about the Eurasian tree sparrow in your yard has sparked a question. When does an invasive species ever come to qualify as a native species? I know that native can be a fiercely guarded status. In Maine, if you are from away, even your Maine-born progeny are suspect. Just because your dog has puppies in the oven doesn't make them biscuits, (laughs) said Susan. Yeah, and, it's, you know, determining whether a species are native or not is actually a worldwide conundrum in the scientific community. Uh, I suspect that the answer is never, but uh, there are so many things that come into play. Was the species introduced, or did the animal come on its own without recognizing political boundaries? I wish I had an answer, and maybe the scientific community will come up with one. They, they're good at doing that. Uh, the Nice Center had a uh, Christmas bird count. The number one bird they saw, they saw this bird more than any other, was the Canada goose. Mm. Uh, second was a house sparrow. Third was a starling. But they did see a snowy owl on their bird count. The Mankato Christmas bird count had 51 species, uh, number one uh, Canada goose also. Uh, and that was also the number one in Albert Lee. And he was the number one on a lot of Christmas bird counts, Canada geese. Uh, Wayne Feder of Faribault County. Uh, Wayne, wonderful guy. Uh, saw a song sparrow still hanging around. Gerald Hoekstra saw an eastern metal arc in rice county tom bovers birding around rice county saw a winter wren a yellow rumped warbler carolina wren uh, tom Tustison saw a harris's sparrow in mauer county and Andrew Nyhue's got a nice photo of a bohemian waxwing in Blue Earth County. So a lot of great birds hanging around there, wintering here, and I know a lot of uh, human Minnesotans say, why on earth are they doing that? And we don't always know. As I said, it would be nice if birds could just talk for one day or answer one question from a human, and I would just ask them, why are you here? What happened? I spoke in uh, Alberta, in Red Deer, Alberta, and then did some recording in uh, in another city in Alberta for, uh, did the voice of an owl, and they have an inner, I like, Alberta's different, like every place is, but they have this thing. They have determined that Norway rats are destructive, and I guess that's, we all can go along with that. They can carry disease and eat crops. But for over 70 years, Alberta has been determined to stop rats from calling Alberta home. And they concentrate their efforts along the Saskatchewan border. They ban the animals as pets and they investigate any in the hint of a rat inside that province last year people reported 480 they had 481 rat reports in 2020 Uh, 26 of them were actual rats about half the sightings were muskrats how do rats get in there for the most part they ride into alberta on vehicles but as soon as they find them they dispatch them
0: well, you know, I have heard that for every rat you supposedly see, there's at least 25 to 50 more. So if they saw, well, allegedly saw 481, that's a lot of rats.
1: <laughs> yeah, but again, most of those were muskrats. Okay, so, so I guess they are rats. You know, when I was a kid, we called them rats, too. And the guys that trapped them called them rats, but uh, yeah. quite a different animal. I hate to talk about Barb Lampson right after <laughs> speaking about rats, but uh, Barb asked where... Where do squirrels live in the winter? Do they stay in their tree nests? How do they stay warm? And great questions. Squirrels live in those two types of structures. They have dens, which are holes in trees, or dr- and then they have drays, which are densely packed masses of sticks and leaves, typically located high in the fork branches of large trees. And those are the things we see when we drive along and see those kind of big balls uh, they're not a, a perfectly round ball, but they're big globs up in the trees. And the dens, though, which are the holes in the trees, they're insulated with dried leaves and other materials. And as you might expect, if you're a squirrel, you'd prefer that for winter. That's You'd want to be in a den. And that's where you'd want to have your brood chamber. Female, that's where you'd want to give birth and raise your babies is in that inside But those grays they are sturdy and weather-resistant. They do require more maintenance than a den. Other things squirrels do, they fatten up as much as possible. They just eat as much as they can starting in the fall so they can be fat going into winter. And every farmer I grew up with would always talk about uh, eating a lot, putting on winter weight so they could make it through the winter and then they'd all laugh because that gave them an excuse to eat like a third helping or something. <laughs> uh, squirrels also grow thicker coats that help keep them warm. So they're like us. We get a get out the winter coat while they grow one. And then they, we don't think about this much, but they use shivering to generate body heat. And in cold weather, squirrels might share a nest in order to share body heat. But I'm sure that leads to a lot of uh, great disputes over a nest. Uh, a listener asks, are birds at feeders more likely to fall victim to predators? According to a Cornell Lab of Ornithology study, avian predators are attracted to busy feeders. So hawks say, "Well, oh, man, look at all those birds, they'll come over. But cats aren't more active at feeding sites. So cats just go about their day anyway. So evidence, though, has suggested feeders may provide safe havens from predation. Why? They're more birds. So the more eyes, the more birds you have sounding alarms, foiling a predator. Feeders also may reduce foraging time, so birds don't have to be out foraging so much, and that limits exposure to predators. So what the study finally said, you know, they might see more hawks, but overall, it probably is a it's a safe haven for birds. Uh, Diane Norville of Oatana, an old classmate. I shouldn't say old classmate, a classmate. <laughs> asked if it's unusual to see robins in minnesota in january her daughter has spotted some and i think of the great poet anonymous there's never been a greater poet than anonymous he wrote or she wrote the north wind doth blow and we shall have snow and what will the robin do then poor thing he'll sit in a barn and keep himself warm and hide his head under his wing poor thing. A small percentage of our robins spend the winter in Minnesota, and why not? It's a winter wonderland. Wintering robins become gregarious, finding security in flock numbers. They sleep in conifers to stay warm at night. If you have a nice line of cedar trees, that's a place that they love, just getting in those cedar groves. They frequent areas with open water and robins can survive cold weather if they find enough food to stoke their furnaces and they feed on fruits and berries of oh, hackberry, crabapple, hawthorn, juniper, sumac, mountain ash, and even buckthorn. And robins that migrated south will start wandering north and they move into areas when and where the temperatures average about 37 degrees and earthworms are emerging. Our wintering emotional support robins follow the food, so they move around in search of food and shelter. They're extremely nomadic when they're here, but uh, it's uh, it's nice to see them, Diane. If you want to feed them some something, cut up fruit, uh, soaked raisins, uh, not in gin, but soaked raisins (laughs) in some water, anything like that is good for them. And they will eat uh, some crumbled suet, uh, usually on the ground. They're not always the best coming to feeders. Some of them certainly will, but uh, not generally. Uh, A listener said, uh, thank you and Karen. Well, thank you. Uh, What's the white covering on trees called? It sure is pretty it is uh, it's sort of like a fairyland and if it's not snow because we have to mm-hmm. you know that's the first thing we say white covering on the trees well it's snow uh, it could be rime ice and that's r-i-m-e and that happens in areas where we where we have dense fog and then those fog droplets come in contact with surfaces below freezing the other thing we get is called hoar frost, H-O-A-R, and that's similar to dew. And that occurs usually on cold, clear, and calm nights. And it's water vapor that freezes onto below freezing uh, surfaces. So hoar refers to the frosty coating coming from the word hoary, which means white or gray with age. And Horry is also the name of a bat we have here. And I know a guy who was bitten by one. Uh, he's a bird bander, and he got, I think, 32 little brown bats in his net, and he freed all them, and then he got a huge bat in there, a 17-inch wingspan. So, you know, being a good bird bander, and he'd never seen a hoary bat before, he took it into his uh, cabin to take a photo of it, and he got... Uh, either nipped by that one or one of the other ones and had to go through the rabies. I, I can't remember. I want to say eight shots, but I'm, I'm probably wrong on that. But he's doing fine, but uh, uh, quite an experience. He has something to tell his grandkids. Why do beavers build dams? Asked Robert. Well, a dam, as you probably all know, is made of trees and mud. and It either blocks or slows water flow in a river or a stream and creates a pond beavers build lodges in those ponds and they provide protection from predators like wolves coyotes or in some areas mountain lions and they also offer warm places to sleep and raise young and lodges are built of sticks grasses and mud I know a friend told me he'd seen one that had rocks even in it. And they have underwater entrances. And ponds are important habitats for many, many other wetland animals. But primarily they uh, do that to, so they can have a pond. And, and you know, just about everybody you know wants a pond like you have, Karen. So we, we <laughs> want ponds. A lot of farm places have ponds. and And maybe we learned that from the beavers. Somebody asked, uh, have you been to Texas birding? I, you know, I've been lucky. I've been there a lot. The first time I went uh, was because my wife made me go. She was just sick of me hanging around the house and said, go, <laughs> you know, go somewhere. So I went down and uh, uh, knew some people down there and uh, some Minnesotans that were wintering down there. And I just went around and looked at birds. This was quite a few years ago. And, It was just amazing. Man, I I ate all that Tex-Mex cooking that was wonderful. And so many new birds, I just couldn't believe my luck. And the the weather was amazingly warm compared to here in the winter. I remember on my first visit there, back whatever year that was, I was talking to a fellow who looked like a cross between a cowboy and a used car salesman one of those guys. He had cowboy boots and he had a, kind of a bolo tie and a, and a jacket, suit jacket on. And he, was, he asked me if I'd like to see the entire state of Texas. And I thought if I said yes, he'd say, well, get in the car and away <laughs> we go. So I said, you know, I'd love to one day. Man, that'd be great just to see the whole state. It's so big. I would love to see the whole state, but how long would that take? He said, Not very long and he held up his right hand with the palm pointed outward and then he bent the the last three fingers down to the palm. So his little finger and the two next to it. He bent them down so they're touching the palm. So with the forefinger pointing up and the thumb extended to the right, it looked like Texas, albeit oh. a smaller version <laughs> of the real thing. And he said, There you go. I remember Oh, not long after that, in the spring, I led a group from Texas around a Minnesota park, and they were the best of people, some big belt buckles and some few cowboy hats, a lot of cowboy boots. They were just good folks, but they felt that obligation. They have a pride of statehood there, so they had that obligation to tell me how all things in Texas were bigger, than the gopher state equivalents. It became kind of a joke amongst us, and they'd say, oh yeah, that's beautiful. I think they're bigger in Texas, so I'm pretty sure, and the rest of them, of course, would all agree. And I reckon they were right in many of their observations, perhaps all. And we walked past some painted turtles sunning on a log in a pond, and I asked if they knew what those were, and before they could answer, because I knew they probably knew, I said they were Minnesota wood dicks. We have big things here too, so it was a. It's a. I have been there a number of times, and I I like Texas. The first time I went down there, I told my wife apparently a state law that you have to pass the car ahead of you. There was a lot of that, but I oh man the nature there's just incredible. I I saw so many things, uh, a lot of uh, life life birds for me there so i appreciate that
0: See al did you hear about that the uh, phenomenon of billions of cicadas are set to emerge across the eastern u.s this year It says the last such event for 15 states, including New York, Ohio, Illinois and Georgia, occurred in 2004. So now they're expecting billions of cicadas that have spent 17 years underground set to emerge across large areas of eastern United States, bringing swarming numbers and loud mating calls to major towns and cities. It's that that cyclical thing where some of them are the 17 year ones. And I'm trying to remember, do we have the 17 year ones or do we have a different kind here?
1: Yeah, we have the annual. So we do not have those. So oh, okay. we get some every year. But those seventeen years, just think, they haven't said anything for <laughs> all yeah. those years. They
0: gotta so let when it out
1: they come up. <laughs> man, they're gonna be talkative. They got a lot to say what's been going on and it is deafening. And uh, we do not get them here. And it's, um, I'm probably okay with that. But I, they're harmless, aren't they?
0: they? They say that, yeah. that, they're, that that once the temperatures are warm enough, they'll be mid-May. So at least the news will have something else to talk about in mid-May. The big swarms coming in instead of the, the yeah. virus, it's going to be the cicadas.
1: And they provide food for a lot of things, too. So they're good. I had a chihuahua that would eat them. Oh. The cicadas. He loved eating cicadas and June bugs. And, of course, I have to say the chicken poop. So he wasn't, I don't know if his diet is for everybody. I would say maybe if you're trying to lose weight, those would be three things to put on your diet. You'd probably take off some pounds. But, oh, he, he just loved June bugs and cicadas. I don't know. He probably thought they were the same thing. But I remember just walking through the trees with him and I'd hear crunch, crunch, crunch. I thought, what are are you eating now? And he was eating cicadas. Mm. I don't even know if there was a cicada in the first one he ate. It might just been the, the exoskeleton, but oh, he was a happy camper. So then that became something that he hunted for. And we used to get so many June bugs banging against the windows and screens at night that he would go outside and see how many of those he could round up and eat, too. So he, he, had a, he wasn't afraid to try new things as far as food goes. He wasn't stuck on one item or a few items and eat the same thing over and over again. He was happy to try different things, so you had to give him credit for that. You know, we have a courtship and territory formation of great horned owls. It began last month and into probably early this month, and the eggs are laid at the end of this month through February. And the owls, how do you do that? Well, boy, owls, they have thick feathers. Even their legs and feet are feathered to handle the cold. And the young hatch, with this fluffy down to keep them warm, the owls can incubate eggs successfully at minus 27 degrees. And the eggs have been recorded to withstand a mother's absence for 20 minutes at minus 13 degrees. Uh, The incubation period is 30 to 37 days. nestling period, about 42 days. Why the early nesting? Uh, They're a little slower to develop. And this gives you young time to learn hunting skills before next winter. So they come on the nest early and the parents will feed them for a little while, but they have a lot of time to work on those skills that they're going to need to survive winter. And it's, uh, they're beautiful, and if you have them in your yard, you will hear the young just complaining constantly. And once out of the nest flying, they will scream at mom and dad, feed me. Here I am, why aren't you feeding me? And they will just follow them around and stalk them. It's an amazing thing. There was a caucus of crows out here sorting through the snow, and there's likely carry-on there. Perhaps the crows were building a snowbird. Who knows? They're pretty smart. I know uh, earlier the crows and blue jays had been hassling a sharp-shinned hawk in the yard, and it was uh, the sharpie had taken a junkle, but it just ticked the blue jays and crows off to no end. And the crows are bigger than that little sharpshin. It was a male. So they were more than happy to bully him out of the yard. And I think they probably did that. I haven't seen him now for a while. And I I like seeing those little sharpies. And, you know, I become attached to my feeder birds. And I, I like them being okay. And I realize it's just nature being nature. And I tell kids that and everything. But... You know, deep down, we like those birds. And we don't want anything to happen to them. So I got both those things going on. I'm um, Pisces. They tell me I look in both directions. You know, you you look at the good and the bad of everything, which makes decisions really hard that way. It's a a beautiful day again. Uh, you know, dress warmly, or grow some thick feathers or hair, whichever grow works for you. Do one of those three things. And uh, you'll have a great time out walking around. It's not—I uh, don't think it's that cold, but boy, that wind just bites a little bit. And I have recycling to do today, so that's uh, boy. You know, I emptied—I emptied the pencil sharpener. <laughs> now I'm doing recycling. Well, I tell you, I'm going to need a nap.
0: Now, I, when you emptied that those those pencil shavings, do you put those? So you can compost those and and use them for mulch later. You know, you could.
1: I could, but I, sadly, I don't. <laughs> I I don't know if it's. I don't know why I put them right in the in the trash.
0: Well, so. you know, it. They are kind of small, but
1: <laughs> when you get, I have you, to tell everybody that's uh, around my age. I got up at four thirty this morning. And I was determined. I, I didn't know about getting the shot until I learned that the teachers would be put in a separate pile because I want them done yeah. first. And uh, once I learned that, I thought, well, I'm going to get in line. So it said at 5 o'clock and get online. So I got up at 4.30, had breakfast, and got over there, turned on the computers a few minutes before 5, and I waited, and the, the button came live at 5.03 on my tablet here. And it said that there were 13,942 ahead of me in line. Oh, my gosh. And I'm thinking, is this going to be like a seven-hour wait, or what is this going to be? And so I went off, and I was doing some other things, doing some writing, and I came back, and it said uh, 17 minutes, and I'd be on, so I sat down. I went on at 5.57, so I 5.03 to 5.57 I was on, and by 6 o'clock I was done, all registered, and it wasn't... uh,
0: But that's the random one, isn't it, that you register and and you have a a random chance of getting an appointment? So you may get it and you may not, but at least you're in the pool.
1: I am in line, and without standing there, I'm still <laughs> currently. I'm in line without really being in line, so it it wasn't that terrible a thing. But it was sure. I thought, how did I get thirteen thousand nine hundred forty-two on yeah. there? You know, and I just got on. But I suppose it uh, hits at different areas a little bit too. Well, but.
0: the second time you went back to it, how many were waiting? Did it say then?
1: It did not. Oh, no. okay. It just said, you are number one, dude. And uh, there should have been confetti or something, but it was nice. It, it was just, I know the first time apparently they did it, there was some, uh, oh, I don't know if it Crash, crashed, but yeah. it went it certainly went down for a while. And this time, man, it was just, uh, it was both lickety and split.
0: Well, so, uh, yeah. I hope you hit the lottery and, and get it because, you know, it's its good to be protected, especially when, when we're of a certain age.
1: That's right, and my bride got one because she's an essential caregiver. So, Okay. She, she has one, and I think it's made her a better person. I really do. Yeah.
0: Is she had the second you know one that, yet, or is she still waiting for
1: that one? She is getting it here shortly. Oh, okay, yeah. good, good.
0: Glad to hear that.
1: So the co- county snowplow just went by, and uh, in that last uh, storm we had when the winds were so bad, he went into the ditch on a blustery day, right out here, right in front of the house, and boy, that shook up my etch-a-sketch. You know, you don't know what to, you know. They got a phone in there. And you're saying, well, "I'm sure he's okay." Right. And they had to get a road grader, a big road grader, out to free the truck from the clutches of that snow and ice. And, oh, I appreciate the people who clear our roads for travel. They're out there in the most miserable weather and just doing all kinds of good things. I remember visiting with one of those knights of the whiteout once, when the conversation turned to drivers not signaling their turns it was just one of the worst things in his life he said you're running that and people are just all of a sudden they turn no signals yes
0: that drives me I'm nuts i'm thinking
1: my car comes with an owner's manual with information showing that my vehicle is equipped with turn signals <laughs> And apparently not every car has a manual covering that. And I think there should be legislation that puts a manual in each one saying this car has turn signals. I
0: think there should be a sign that that says, uh, you know, reminding people every once in a while as well, since they can't seem to recall that.
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's it it ticks people off but it's also dangerous
0: right oh yeah for sure so but you know my I have a vehicle now that when if you're in the, the cruise mode even if it's slow that it senses and it will automatically put on the brakes so if you're not I mean I, I really appreciate that safety feature that I didn't use to have so hopefully that's helping prevent more accidents but you still should pay attention obviously
1: it's it's wonderful all the things they do now. It tells you if you're going across the center line and if you're too close, and all these great things that are happening in cars. Mine uh, mine has a steering wheel now, so I don't have the joysticks anymore. So that that's something. My, I'm coming around. I'll be. You'll get to it. I want to thank I want to thank you, Karen, as always for your wonderful company. I I, I never fail to enjoy it. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. You know, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird.
0: Well, thank you, Al. As always, it's great to chat with you. We'll be back again next week. Until then, you have a a great weekend.
1: I will do that. All right.
0: Bye-bye.